Hello, welcome back to Critics Critique. I'm Eric, and today I'm going to be looking back at some of the episodes that we made so far. You might call this a uh, filler episode, but I like to call it deleted scenes. Now, if you've been listening this far, you know that we have a special hook on this show. Um, we like to try and stick to keeping the subjective from being presented as objective. So if someone has feelings about something and they state it as fact, they get buzzed, they earn a point person with the highest points of the losers. So, surprise win last week. We had our guest star, TJ the Mecha Kid Reese, uh, take the lead in our ongoing game. Uh, he earned three points, got on the board, and got the lowest score so far, just edging out uh, our other guest star, Samia. So, congratulations to TJ, and thank you all for listening. So, I'm going to go through a few of our previous episodes, put together some clips, and introduce them here, and We'll take a look at some of the things that I left sort of, not necessarily on the cutting room floor, but whatever the podcast equivalent of that is. Here we go. So first up is a clip from episode two, where uh, Curtis and I discuss a channel that we both like and how they accidentally proposed a potentially, uh, let's say, a different uh, sequence of events that could have played out through the movie. So here it is. Red Letter Media, in talking about a correction they made to uh, their review of Wonder Woman 84, pointed out something really interesting about the scene where Steve Trevor disappears. Yeah. Uh, Because of kind of absentmindedly watching, uh, I believe it's Mike goes into a little bit of detail about uh, how unclear there seems to be a setup of Wonder Woman uh, saying goodbye to Steve. Steve Trevor, not quite relinquishing her wish, then uh, going to fight wearing the armor to Cheetah, and then relinquishing her wish, and she doesn't need the armor anymore. Right. And it turns out that's that was a mistake. That is not what happens in the movie. Yeah. As is visible, her body starts to heal from the wounds she's had because she relinquishes her wish non-verbally with Steve Trevor, where she kisses him and says goodbye, and she runs, and all of her scars heal. Mm-hmm. And then that's when she learns to fly. Yes. And I think they pointed out what might have been the original intent of the payoff of that power. Right. Is her being conflicted till the end and needing those wings and having to wear this suit of armor in order to fight. And then at the moment she relinquishes her wish, she loses those wings because she can fly herself. Yeah. And she doesn't need the armor because she is powerful again and she can fight. Right. And then, and they mentioned that that's what the movie feels like it's building up to. But that build-up has already been paid off Yeah, in, in a past scene. Yes. Next, in episode three, we continue to talk about the Mask of Zorro. Now, the reason I'm showing or uh, playing this clip is mostly so you can get a sense of what it's like uh, when we haven't edited things and we sort of meander and work our way through from point to point and stumble across little details and points that we want to make. So 
uh, you can hear, you know, us bounce off of a couple of different topics and, and, and make jokes that maybe make sense to us uh, when we're sitting in front of each other but don't land uh, on audio. But still, I, I thought this clip was worth saving, so. There is on-screen chemistry between Antonio Banderas and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones, and it's almost electricity when they're in the same shot together. All right, you get one. The idea is that you believe their relationship. That's the wording that I would put to it. That's fair. We don't talk about crushes here. Not on this is not rated. Yeah. When but, you're not rating yeah. something, you have no sexual implications <laughs> for anything. Yeah, the, the, the characters have a lot of overlap. Like I said earlier, they each lose a loved one, a family member, and then oddly and well, not 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 oddly enough, like, like the the way that that these characters die fits well. Fuck said well. Yep. Ah, and the way that these characters die fit within the uh, story where Antonio Banderas's target dies via the sword where he cuts off his brother's head with the sword and uh Don Rafael dies strapped to the gold he so desperately was trying to get to buy the uh the rest of the uh sovereign California mm. Mm. yeah the um for me the thing about Mask of Zorro that sticks out to me is that the same director released a sequel, The Legend of Zorro, seven years later. Same director, too. And with the implementation of CGI effects in order to make certain things work, you can actually watch those movies back-to-back. I guarantee you, if no one told you what year they came out, you could obviously follow the story and pick out which one came out first, but effects-wise, because they could not rely on CGI, the original... And then I go on to make points about practical effects, which you've heard us discuss before. Uh, so buzzes from deleted scenes won't be counted towards totals in this, uh, just for listeners out there. And so that Curtis can uh, take a breath of fresh air, because, you know, I might unfairly add a few more of his. Um, you know, I feel like if, in general, a point is missed, uh, it's a hard judgment call on whether or not someone should take the hit or not, but you know, ah, moving on. Now in episode four, we talked about the crow starring Brandon Lee from 1994. And dare I say on an episode of this film, not rated that it's one of my favorite movies. I will just to give you context for why I deleted the next sequence. Um, there's always a struggle when we talk about some of our favorite movies to toe the line and try and speak to what resonates with those and why we come back to them time and again. And I feel like we struggle to toe the line here and there's always a line where sometimes we speak too factually to where we're just telling you the beats of a movie you may have already seen time and again and to where we're basically skirting around giving an opinionated response, missing the point. So... Um, there were a few details in here that I really wanted to share, a couple of insights, uh, shared by Curtis, and hopefully you get something out of it. The way the writing is done, it's, it's meant to be comedic in the most ridiculous kind of way. So, like, specifically, there's a, there is a line that sticks out every time, and every time I hear it, the first thing that comes to my mind is there's, there's no way that you can know that. And it's, it's the scene after Tin Tin dies. Yeah. And it's uh it's T Bird explaining to the big boss, 
he stabbed him in all his major organs in alphabetical order. Well, he's not saying he actually knows where he stabbed him. It's it's a it's it's it, it, it's he was stabbed a lot. Is all he's saying. <laughs> I get it. I like, <clears throat> but the yeah the unnatural movement. Uh, the there are two characters that that differ. Like there, I, I don't know who the character is in in, in the comics. I want to say it's the guy who's always shooting up in the movies. I forget his name. Fun boy. Fun boy. So I if 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 I'm so there are in the comics. Fun boy is the one who sees the crow, instantly knows who who he is, and accepts his fate. In the movie, it's T-Bird, where it, it it's not as blatant, but T-Bird, the, yes, I I believe I I would have to re read this. I might cut this out. I I would have because I think you're right. I think Fun Boy was on drugs in both versions, but when he saw him, he was like, nah, "I knew you were coming for me." There's like some version of that. Yeah, but T-Bird, the thing is, he holds a he pulls a gun. Guy gets a gun to his head. And, but the thing is, T-Bird has that line that I feel like, and it's abash the devil stood and felt how awful goodness is. Yeah. He's the only one who speaks in that sort of yeah, uh, poetic dialogue. Right. Other than Brandon Lee. Yeah. And it's, the the thing with that is, I pointed this out before, which kind of like, and you kind of helped helped connect the uh, dots here. That that's the exact line he said to I think either Eric or Shelley. I think it was Eric before he threw him out the window. And him repeating that line is kind of affirming that what he's he knows do- and accepts what he's done. Yeah, I can understand that. I, 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 I that's the thing though. I would be interested in seeing a, uh, a one of the characters have given up and be readily accepting yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. And I actually think the closest you get to it is top dollar. Probably. I think he's the one that's just like, you know, I'm not seeing much of a point to life anymore. Um, I really wish devil's night was still fun. You know, devil's night greeting cards. Isn't that cute? Right. Yeah, you know, he created this whole anarchy thing, and he's really a character that's supposed to represent pure evil, I believe. And yet, when it comes to the crow, who is it that says, oh, you know what? It's not in this movie, the line that I'm thinking of. It's in the fourth crow movie, which we're not going to talk about on this podcast <laughs> for fear of me gaining a point total so high that I would have to stop. <laughs> Um. <clears throat> oh no, it's not. It's not in the fourth Crow movie. You know what? It's not even in a Crow franchise at all. It's actually from Kill Bill Volume Two, oh. uh, where the M- Madsen. It's been a while since I've seen Kill Bill. Either uh, of them. the actor who played uh, the Vega brother who cut off an ear in Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Uh, is talking to Bill about the bride and he is very passive and it's one of my favorite deliveries and he delivers this line and this is something that i think i would be interested in seeing in a crow movie um you know she deserves to kill us and we all deserve to die i do remember that line 
Wow. And she deserves her revenge, I think he says, actually. Something along those lines. To have a character be like that, mm-hmm. so that it was a little... Um, there was a little more variety mm-hmm. in the play out of the interactions with the characters. Yep. Um, not that there isn't variety in the movie, uh, cause it's just the approaches are different aspects of action. Okay. There's one intimate interaction with fun boy. The first one is a knife fight. The, s- the third one is, uh, T-Bird mm-hmm. uh, in his car. The And then you have a full gun and sword shootout for uh, uh, the one who can't talk very well. Oh. And then you have your final shootout tower fight with uh, Top Dollar. Okay. Yeah. So there's variation in terms of action, not necessarily in terms of characterization. Right. Now, we have a couple of clips from Episode 5. Uh, episode 5 was one that I was really happy with the way that it turned out. Um, we discussed Get Out, and I always wanted to approach that movie with a certain sensitivity uh, and empathy for uh, the audience that, you know, it would mean the most to. I mean, I think it means something to everybody, and that's kind of what we talk about. Uh, but I think we got a little too opinionated a little too off track and there was a really great bit in here about uh milk people that i was really hoping would be something i could reference again so i'm happy to present this one so there's there's this scene where before the girlfriend has been exposed the thing that that clues in chris to her actual intentions is he finds this open closet door and he looks in and there's this box full of all of these uh past boyfriends that uh, she has brought back to the mansion and then sold off Chris was just the next one. Uh, later on, after she's been exposed and after he's uh, escaping from underground, from, from underneath the house, the house basement, it, there, there's this shot of her looking for her next victim. And the shot is a, a full square shot of her and the camera slowly pans back to reveal that all of, all of the pictures are now framed and hanging behind her. As, almost as, as a form of pride. That she's got all of that 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 she's managed to uh to wrangle up all of these people and bring them back. It's uh, that she has these trophies displayed on on the wall as as a form of achievement. And again, that's one of those things where I question a little bit the logic of it because it's like, okay, so you just got found out in the exact same scene. You're sitting there looking for your next person to go out and do your job, and yet you've framed photographs that you just found. Are you going to unframe them? What do you do with the frames? Where do we keep so, the frame? I don't know. It makes me think. I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking about the, uh, the, uh, how horrifying it was the way she eats cereal. Yeah. And then someone pointed out the subtext of keeping colors separated from milks. And it's like, why choose fruity pebbles because of that? Yeah. And like, from so, milks. I yeah. called it milks. From milks. Uh, so <laughs> the, the only attempt that I can try to, to, I guess, justify why she would do this is maybe it's a new, a a new scenario that she's concocted for this next one. Maybe instead of this time, Chris being the first black person she's dated, now she now he's now this next person is not the first black person she's dated. It's it could be a whole new setup to bring in a different person. I don't know because I these are things I have not seen in a horror movie before because they're new, especially to to us. Well, I think that's kind of unique about about 
some white audiences as viewers and other audiences that are just looking at the black experience in America. I would be curious about black European audiences and their experiences in America and the way that they view this. I really want input from as many people as possible for them to understand what resonated with them. See, I, I, I generally agree with that. The, the, the more input you, you have, the better understanding of, of a thing you, you get. I think he hit a home run while he was just trying to make it to first base. Yes. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's a that's a good way of uh, putting it because I think that's that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to reach a very specific audience. He was and, trying to play. Yeah. And now, instead, now he now he, he again he has gone on record saying he wanted everyone to enjoy the movie, but there was a certain audience that he wanted specifically to enjoy this movie. Well, no, the the goal wasn't specifically for this audience. This was that the assertion is that's what would allow him to be happy with his own. Success. Right. And again, from episode five, we discussed Friday the 13th, part six. And uh, Curtis and I ended up going off on a little side tangent about the connection between the original Universal Monsters and uh, which uh, 80s slasher monsters they may relate to. So this is something that I'm hoping we'll get to revisit in the future. So... You will be ahead of the game if you listen and you understand what's going on here, uh, probably around October. Yes, specifically Frankenstein, but you can also see a bit of Dracula with the gothic horror of the cemetery in there as well. Well, the cemetery is also Frankenstein. Well, it's it's it's, it's Frankenstein. It's, it's a lot of Actually, things. Actually, Dracula never goes to a cemetery. He That's... just sleeps in a coffin. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Semantics. <laughs> It's interesting. I'd like one day to do kind of like a comparison. Yeah. Maybe if we were if we're watching Universal horror movies later, yeah. we could take the time to draw correlations between like modern horror movie monsters and that. Yeah. Because the way that Freddy Krueger I actually plays on people. I was actually gonna say he reminds me most of the Invisible, Invisible Man. Man. I was gonna say the Invisible Man too, because yeah, he, he <laughs> operates. People don't see him. You have to bring people's awareness to him in order to do it. Think of the so. way that he kills people and what people on in the real world see, see. when it comes to Freddy Krueger. They just yes. see someone being manipulated without seeing the person, which it just screams the Invisible Man. Yes, and then you have um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde and Chucky. Yes, and then you have uh, I, I. I kind of want to say Pinhead and Dracula. I haven't seen Pin... Uh, so I haven't seen the Hellraiser Hellraiser, movies. it really is. There, There's these elements, and I know Dracula wasn't always like this, and it definitely wasn't in the Bela Lugosi one, although I have comments to make there. But Hellraiser is the pain and pleasure sort of BDSM latency horror. Um, I think it's a lot more graphic and gory, but the idea is just invoking hell on Earth and it's a creature who can't die, and a creature who feeds off of someone. Like it, yeah. I, mean, I feel like it's the closest approximation. And I, w- I would like to equate. It, it would be fun to do that at some point. But yeah, but oddly the- enough, I, I, I want to say I know we're basically. I'm, I shouldn't keep doing this, so maybe I'll just save this for later, or whatever. But oddly enough, I think uh, Leatherface might be creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh God, I think Leatherface. There's a lot in there. I think Leatherface would be more Wolfman, honestly. Well, there's no transition. Yeah. He's someone who is kept 
I see what you're saying. Right. And attaches himself to certain victims and then has a fixation, especially in the second Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where he's exploring his sexuality with one of the victims. Like, okay. It's not, you know, the creature. It's not direct correlation, but but yeah. You know, it's this one who's accused of being a monster and kept in the background and people come out and hunt him and like, there's a. There's a thing. There maybe. We'll, maybe, yeah. Wolfman, we'll have to... We'll see, but... Yeah. yeah, but, uh, so... That's for another day. Another, uh, kind of special thing about this episode was there's a point where, I don't know what was going on that night, but I just wildly fell off of the chain in terms of, uh, just commenting on and reviewing how i feel about the movie like i completely missed the point and so it got a little competitive and bantery and a few points were earned that ultimately were left out um basically because i want the the purpose of the podcast to stand recognizably on its own and i feel like if we get too confused with the way that we comment on things i don't know we had a suggestion that cleared things up so hopefully this is just fun in retrospect uh, but the kill, the, the kills themselves, like, while, while, while Jason him, himself is very menacing throughout the entirety of the movie, the kills themselves are comedic in nature. So there's this one kill that makes me laugh every time I think of it. It's the drunk, uh, it's, it's the drunk grave tender as, as he's walking home and he finished and he, he polishes off a bottle of, of, of whiskey, looks at it and says, darling. Undertaker. You're, or whatever, what is the name of that job? I think under, no, I, I, I think it's just grave tender, but I, 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 it's I, not I, grave tender. It's. Gravekeeper? Because there's... Gravekeeper. Okay. So... The the drunk gravekeeper. So he polishes off the bottle of whiskey, says, Darling, you're going to be the death of me. Throws it behind him, expecting to hear a smash. It never comes. He turns around. There's Jason holding it. He simply breaks it, and then uses the broken end to kill the the, the gravekeeper with. Yeah. And that's... Breaking the the fourth wall. Some people have a strange idea. Entertainment. It's... it's, Yes, we do. It's... It's... It's the writer acknowledging that people watch this specifically for that deranged sense of of entertainment and delivering on all levels. Yes, and I think some attempts at meta humor are are better than others. Like the very the, early attempts. The I would line, think. Uh, the I've seen enough horror movies to know that anyone wearing a mask is like that's that's directly self referential to Friday the Thirteenth, or uh, or or uh, or Halloween. Well, I just think it's clunky. Oh, I'm better than (laughs) others. Oh my gosh, what have I been doing? That's not what I'm here for. Oh, okay. But yeah, this is. But like outside of that, like, well, well, again, like Jason Curtis for keeping the ship afloat by understanding the point of this podcast. (laughs) I don't worry. Uh, I'm sure I'll slip up at some point. But uh, yeah. uh, Right now, as far as like like designs go, this is probably my favorite Jason design. There. Yeah. Because although you did say my favorite, so technically that's not saying it's like the best or anything, but still, you said it was good. I did, but. Uh... And finally, for today, we revisit Moonlight. Uh, there was a. A sequence where we talked a lot about the real world implications of movies that have so much subtext and commentary on social issues and I wanted to stick to speaking more about you know as close as we can to uh, the reasons to watch the movie and kind of sometimes I trim things for pacing but 
there are a few significant things I think we brought up in this clip, and one of them is I take a semi-cheesy, that's really for you to judge, jab at uh, trying to define the title, which the movie gives its own definition, but I don't know. That That is fair. And, and, uh, and that's why I feel like it's so accessible, because they're not asking you to ingest a mountain of problems. They're just inviting you into a world where you can see, I mean, like we've discussed the last couple of times, last couple of episodes, we talked about movies as an empathy machine. Again, mm. I'm going to, and we're going to bring up David Venture again this day. Yep. Oh my gosh. We are <laughs> repeating ourselves a lot, but Hey, maybe that's who we are. The, you, all you are asked to do is empathize with one character. And in doing that, you will recognize so many different things about how the world works in areas that you're maybe not accustomed to being in, or maybe you are, and maybe this is the catharsis that you need. Just like with Get Out, there's an audience that would watch this that might make them feel more comfortable in their own skin. Yeah. Uh, To your point, when I first saw this movie, it's it's the first time I saw poverty in this way. There's the the scene that stuck out to me the most was when... Was was when Chiron, as as a kid, had to take a bath, and because there's no water heater in his house, he had to boil a pot of water to pour into a tub full of cold water just to get warm water to, to bathe with. That's a struggle I've never had to think about or even thought of, and it's it's something that opened my eyes to it. Yeah, it's how baths work before we had water heaters. <laughs> yeah, just a fire in a tub. Yep. and i i just like again looking at it from one person's point of view you could if you're like why does he have to deal with that and you could get lost on this like oh my god the world is full of awful problems but you don't have to you just stay focused on wow that sucks that he has to go through that exactly exactly you can but if you're the kind of person who as soon as you go online to try to look that up you're gonna get like overwhelmed you know you still you can you can't stop yourself from feeling something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whether or not you're happy about that is not for this podcast but mm. <laughs> right, so. what do you think other than moonlight really being like a guide for you to like pay attention to that other than the interpretation you were told what do you what do you guys think of that as the title moonlight as the title for the movie I really like the title, uh, crap. Gotcha! <laughs> so, uh, I can't rem- uh, I can't remember the exact speech, but there's a, a speech given by, uh, by Marshala Ali's character that I think explains the title in, in the sense that the, the director wanted. I can't remember, remember the speech, but it has to do with the effect of, of a moon, of a moonlight. And I just, to me, Moonlight is when 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 moonlight is your only source of light. There's no light pollution. Nothing in this world is touching your view. It's the bare truth of you know what it the 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 dark side of life. Like when when you're things you'd like to keep in the dark. Moonlight is what exposes it. Yes, uh, I, I. That's yeah. 
I like that's the point that I, I think I was trying to get across, and that's a great way of saying it. Um, moonlight is unavoidable. You can only hope that there's going to be clouds. Like, but, um, <laughs> it's it's so regarding moonlight as the title of the movie, that pivotal moment between him and his friend happened in the moonlight, and it was purified like I, I don't know how to explain that like it was a pure moment and i feel like the moonlight showed them to have a pure moment like like a stage light like you were saying earlier so would you say can if... i throw a different word sure. out that might be a little less of a qualifier sure true true okay. unavoidably true i, I was you. gonna say clarity like clear like yeah, like yeah. like it, it, it's well. It's... Clarity is how well you can kind of see something. I think the thing is, there's so much stigma in this, and so many layers and different facades this person has to put on mm. to be something he doesn't want to be. Right, right. That the one time that he's truthful about who he is right. is in that moment. Right. And that's about all I'm going to cover for today up through episode 6. I just wanted to review little pieces of what's going on behind the scenes. Uh hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. Uh, remember, you can always reach out to filmcriticscritic at gmail.com uh, for any commentary that you want to put to, uh, you know, modify, give suggestions on different uh, movies that you'd like to have reviewed, anything like that. Uh, my name is Eric. You can find me at High Contrast FLM on Twitter. And remember, you can always follow Curtis at 90sGamer407 on Twitter. And you can follow him as Merrick, M-A-R-I-C underscore Tainment, like the end of entertainment, uh, on Twitch. And uh, I think he's starting to make some good headway, so please head on over and show him some support. Remember, we are a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, so please head on over to themusiccitydrivein.com for a lot more entertainment, a lot more variety. Thank you very much for listening. 